Riverhead Books presents Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey. You know, I occasionally praise these dead people. Great Expectations is not the Dickens gateway drug I would recommend. You must be the first person in history to take Henry James to the beach. I'm a guy who read Born Peace by the Pool. <laughs> I will read a book because of his cover. Absolutely. I think there's an argument that straight people shouldn't write sex. At all? At all. Okay, you're wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> He's Jake Morrissey, so I must be Marlon James, and we're back with another episode of Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, where we talk about dead authors and their books because they can't come for us. They also can't hear when we praise them, so that kind of just goes into the ether. <laughs> you want approbation for your praise? Is that what you're saying? I want, yeah. You know, it's like, make a sign, dead people. <laughs> That's right. Give me literary in- yeah. immortality of the dead people. Okay. Well, what, we're, what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about cities in books because sometimes cities are the central settings in stories. Sometimes they might have be actual characters themselves. So we thought we'd sort of talk about books that have cities in them that we think are memorable or annoying or maybe something else in between. So, Marlon, you, you start. What, what city do you want to talk about first? Well, I want to talk about the cities in general and city novels. And as a young person living in the suburbs in you know, a Caribbean country, reading all these novels, that a lot of my perception of the world was a literary perception of the world. The, the first London I knew was the London of my imagination. It was a 19th century London. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I read a contemporary British novel till I was like 19. Right, right. If not older. That if we're talking about the Victorian novel, to a huge extent we're talking about the city novel or the country novel. That I'm reading Edith Wharton and it's as much about, if you're going to talk about the Gilded Age, you're talking about the city. Yes, that's true. But a particular city that's very different from right. Dickens, Oliver Twist right. or whatever. And I think in some ways, a really, really good city novel leaves me with the impression that I do not want to live there. Wait, is it because it gives leaves such a bad taste in your in Well, your because mouth? it usually ends up destroying somebody <laughs> in in, right. in the book. Not always. Like I, you know, I mean, it's not on my list, but you know, Dickens London, particularly in Bleak House. Yes. Or even even Little Dorrit. Well, Little Dorrit's basically about what life in debtor's prison is. Yeah. That's not the Savoy. That's no uh Yeah, but it's precisely it leaves me with it's it's like this is so well realized. I would never yes, want to live totally. here. And, uh, yeah, and the characters are trapped is probably the wrong word, but they, but it, they're, in other words, they're there and they're not going anywhere, mm. and, and it's inescapable. Yeah, and yet there are novels of New York City. All authors are living, so I'm going to mention them. That did make me want to come here and live here. The best city novels, as you said, the, the city becomes one of the yes, characters. Totally, totally. And and sometimes the characters are, you know, evil or malevolent or as you said, kind of crushing, soul crushing, mm. physical crushing, whatever. And sometimes it's, oh yeah, I wanna mm. come here. I mean, as as artificial and mm-hmm. ultimately grim as Breakfast at Tiffany's is, mm-hmm. it does paint a New York as Oh, you know what? This is a possibility mm-hmm. for somebody to move to and essentially recreate themselves. Well, that that, that ties into something else I've, I've thought about these novels. It's one of the things I try very hard to get people who are, you know, my students to understand is that you can be universal and specific at the same time. Exactly. 
that a really good season of is pretty particular. Yes. It, it should convince you that this story couldn't have happened anywhere else. Exactly. And you want to, I, in some ways, I think the goal is to be mm. universal and right. specific simultaneously. But I think that to me, that to me is not a contradiction in terms right. that it's what makes it universal is the is the specificity of our experience exactly that which I think think people sometimes don't understand when I'm reading a lot of young work, I don't know where this thing happens. Mm-hmm. Where was it? It I can't remember if it was Edith Warden who said, yeah, it was Edith Warden who said that setting is a definer and a confiner. You yes. can't have something that began nowhere. Right, exactly. And also, in some ways, as a writer, I would imagine that you know, getting the right def, getting the right sort of setting, be it mm-hmm. a city or whatever, can help you. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I drew maps for Black Leopard, Red Wolf, and for for Moon Witch. That um, until I drew the maps, I didn't have a sense of yes. where I, where I was being defined, right, or confined, right. It actually opened up a wider sense of possibility because I knew the street now. Mm-hmm. That's true. I bet. I bet that's right. Yeah, because the whole idea of I mean, the cities we'll sort of talk about is mm-hmm. they come alive on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, you know. Some of that's a sometimes that's a good thing, and you want to mm. be there. And sometimes it's like, oh shit, I don't want to be here. This is too. This is this is too much. This mm-hmm. is too scary. Whatever. Yeah. So the the first one on my list was Ulysses, which is a great city novel. It's a great opinion. city novel. It's it's it helps that he has these sort of dry runs with every every book that preceded it. <laughs> you know, St. Stephen's appears. St. Stephen's Green appears in Ulysses, and he describes it in an almost epic way. Yes. Um, it also appears in Portrait of the Artist. It appears twice in Dubliners. Okay, I did know that. I yeah. did. I did know that. Okay, I didn't know that about Portrait. That's interesting. Okay, I might be guessing that. No, I may. I may have got it wrong. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. I'm sure yeah, you're right. but but definitely in a day at the races, and it's uh, two gallants in, in Dubliners. Dubliners. And not described all that well in Two Gallants. I mean, right. Well, the thing about the Dubliner about Dubliners is that it is short, mm-hmm. and there is no there's no space for excess. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm just right. saying it's the thing about. Well, anyway, I'm interested in the fact that you chose such a small city. Yeah, I um because it's it's the uh, there there's a certain audacity to Ulysses. I always thought that this sort of Homer's Odyssey mm-hmm. in a decidedly unhomeric. City. As a special connection to it, because I was there for Bloomsday a few years ago. All right, what was that like? That was really interesting. You do not want the breakfast. Because? Because you get you at what Joy said. You, oh, And no I was sense. like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No. I shouldn't have done it. No, I no, no. Done you, it, but I'm going to do it. To quote my mother, you know better than that. I started, and I, and I started where the book started, um, the Martello Tower. How many people do that, do you think? Oh, it was packed. I'll bet. And all the kids were dressed like early nineteenth, early twentieth century. So it was essentially people. kind of you know Hogwarts for literary. Kids. It really was. It wow. really was kind of a Hogwarts. I was in the actual tower, which is now the James Joyce Museum. Uh-huh. Then we went down Eccles Street, okay, number seven Eccles Street, which has actually now a hospital. Oh wow! Um, I had dinner at I can't remember what was the name of the pub. Not dinner, breakfast, mm-hmm. and they needed a chair for Bloomsday. And somebody voted for me, so I was the chair of Bloomsday. <laughs> and the, the the MC was a very old man who thought that I said Marvin. <laughs> of course he did. Them being Irish, by right. midday I was Marv. <laughs> of course. And it's Marv will now cut the ribbon. <laughs> oh God. For Bloomsday, everybody, Marv. I'm like, you know what? I'm Marv. <laughs> just it's go Mar- with it. I'm I'm just gonna go with it. That's but it's it's. 
the thing about Yelisi is, and it's one of the questions I, I have about City now, is this, do you have to live there? Well, well, okay, I have an answer, but I mean, it's, it, it, do, do you, what do you think? I don't know, because I wrote Bronx in, in, in Brief History, and I didn't live there. I hope I got it right. But there is a sense of, of there's a sort of a smell, a scent, an idea of presence and being present. Man, you, it, Ulysses is also literally a novel about being present. Exactly. Um, but it made me wonder that if, if he's there. But it also made me wonder if, that if I don't know these things as intimately as Joyce does, is there, is there a level of understanding that I'm not, that I wouldn't have got. Well, okay. But at the same time, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually, I, I, there's, there's a particular novel I want to talk about, but I think the author's still alive, so I won't mention it. But the idea of what you have to do is be persuasive to the reader. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to, I mean, you don't need to know what the, I don't, well, I would argue at any rate, you don't need to know what, you know, what the, the sewers of Dublin smells like mm -hmm. in order to write effectively about about Dublin, unless you want to write about mm. what the what the you know what the sewers of Dublin smell like. But my my point is is that I think it depends. All I think the question you're asking the answer ultimately depends on the on the mm. the talent of the writer. Yeah, but he's also he's he, Joyce is doing something which I'm still trying to get a handle on, where you have the sense that he is setting using it as a setting for for an epic. But he's also kind of taking the piss out of it. Yes, but he's doing it in seven hundred pages. Mm -hmm. So it's like, all right, let me let me. A lot of it is, I think, is sort of literary pyrotechnics along the way, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. But it's like you didn't you didn't need all this space to, to pull this shit off. Mm -hmm. I can't, can't believe I'm actually saying you're, it needs you're to be actually shorter. saying you should be shorter. Yes, I actually am saying that. Wow. You're right. I know exactly. What are your views on Moby Dick? <laughs> <laughs> Always the worst to bring up in an editor. <laughs> well, on the, well, okay. The thing about the thing about Ulysses is that, and you're absolutely right. It's a novel about being present, and I get that. But and there are other there are other writers who are doing that today, and I have you know can't talk about them. But I mean, the idea is you can be present. You don't have to be in eternal. So, um, but with somebody with elsewhere in the world, I think Dublin is a is one of those cities that is the benefits from. Mm. Somebody like James taking paying such attention to it. Yeah, I I um I do think he you know he says it about Dublin. He says, "Dear dirty Dublin," mm -hmm. that you wonder if you you do have to kind of love. You do have to love the place you're writing about. I think in a way, like okay. I don't know if if it would have been the same now if he had contempt for the city. Well, it would. Yeah, that's yes, and I, or yeah. if he didn't sort of go between love and contempt. Well, yes, but I think ult and ultimately end up on the side of this is worth my time and your time, reader, mm. for me to write this and you to read this. Yes, I think it has to come there. Mm. But it's like there's nothing pretty about it necessarily, but I really didn't want to go to Dublin. Whereas I read Bonfire Advantage, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to that damn city. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting, actually. That because, do you think, well, what, was it just because you didn't, you thought it was, literally you know in flames i guess what i'm asking is uh, it yeah i thought it was kind of in flames i also thought i'd never meet a single person i'd like mm -hmm. also you know i mean i also think bonfire is not that good no it isn't it, it isn't. really no. 
it's it's I read it for the main reason most people who are not New Yorkers read it. We heard this is where we're going to understand right. New York. We're going to understand the eighties. We're yes. going to understand this whole mess. Tom Wolfe wrote for Rolling Stone. He looked really cool in white. Um, actually, kind of looked at Quentin Crisp in white, honestly. Well, also, um, it, was, it was kind of like, how long was that suit white? When as soon as mm-hmm. you walk out into New York, it can't stay white very long. <laughs> I actually was more a fan of his, um, st- like, striped shirts or what. In mm-hmm. other words, he looked it looked much more like, you know, the deeper down underneath the suit he got, the more mm-hmm. like Bertie Wooster he came across, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I like, a lo- I mean, there are a lot of stuff about Tom Wolfe that I like, mm-hmm. um, most of it nonfiction. Yeah, I think he's a better nonfiction writer. I think Electric Cooled Acid Test is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Right stuff is up there with any other book. Mm-hmm. Bonfire is, is, his conservative turn didn't surprise me. Okay, that's interesting. Because of his, um, the way he portrayed the character, the the sort, of, the way he portrayed the assholes in Bonfire, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's yeah, um, it's 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 not it's not it's not quite the contempt that say Hunter S. Thompson would have had, mm-hmm. but it's also just not that good a book. No, I I would I would agree. It was also I remember reading it thinking, okay, I'm missing why everybody mm-hmm. thinks this is so good. Most of the other novels about New York at that time, the authors are still living, so we can't really talk right. about them. Right, exactly. But it's, it's um, I mean, we could have a whole thing about just the New York novel and mm-hmm. start with Wharton. Mm-hmm. It's it's not even a kind of a, a Dickens London where, oh my God, I wouldn't want to live here. Right. But, I, but it's not, but I, but I definitely want to see it. Well, okay. So, so in the case of something like Dublin, it made you want to go. In mm-hmm. the case of something like Bonfire, it made you want to avoid it. Yeah. Is there a is there a place where is there is there a city that you have read about that you've not been to that you wanted to go or know you would never want to go? Um God, I'm trying to think of I've read quite a few novels set in Vienna. I know I can't remember any of them. <laughs> but I still I, I, I there's a part that still wants to go to Vienna. See, my experience is one of the cities I wanted to talk about was um the San Francisco of Dashiell Hammett. Mm-hmm. And I've been to San Francisco and if I, a couple of times, and if and this is no criticism of the city. Or criticize. If I never go again, <laughs> that is okay with me. <laughs> and the thing about the thing about to me about um about that San Francisco. used to be my favorite American city. See, for that's a the thing. Everybody loves it. And I and I I get it. It just feels to me like it it feels to me like a movie set. Mm-hmm. You More know? than LA. More than L.A., yeah. Because the thing about L.A. is it's not really a city. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, not, it's so not. It's a territory. Yes. It's it's also a series of, like, connected, high, connected like, neighborhoods, co- neighborhoods connected by highways. It's a territory. <laughs> like, anyway, but my, my point about San Francisco is that I, I think it was once, I mean, it was once sort of, a, you know, a city of commerce, a city of, you know, natural resources, you know, lumber barons, all that stuff. Gold was, I mean, mm-hmm. all that makes sense. But the idea that that I you know with somebody like um, Dashiell Hammett who wrote you know that's where the Maltese Falcon takes place and 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 San Francisco in that novel is a character that I would be interested in getting to know mm-hmm. in the you know early twentieth century where Sam Spade is trying to find this this priceless statue of a falcon that's being you know various people are trying to get their hands on and the and the city feels like a kind of gritty sort of the 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 kind of the framework for the for the story in the novel and you know things happen in the streets and you know Sam Spade is a as a you know not particularly successful detective and 
And, you know, it feels kind of unsentimentally corrupt. I, there's a line that I that I remember from the novel where he says, um, you know, most things in San Francisco can be bought or taken. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of kind of idea that, that that's the San Francisco I want to see. The San Francisco of, you know, the tech jillionaires mm-hmm. is not someplace that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So it's a it, for me, when you're talking about about the Dublin of Ulysses, it's like, oh, yeah, the San Francisco I'm interested in doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. I mean, everything changes and, and evolves over time. But I'm much more. I think it. I think that time, the time of like you know when when uh, Dashiell Hammett was a Pinkerton detective and and moved to San Francisco in the early 20s. And I mean that whole sense of what life was like then is much more interesting to me than what than what real life might be actually now. I would, mm-hmm. in other words, I would not want to go on a Maltese Falcon tour in San Francisco today because I would imagine almost nothing from it mm. is there anymore. I guess it's sort of the reverse with New York, where the New York that's most fascinating in literary imagination is one you wouldn't want to be caught dead in. Yes, exactly. Totally 100% true. <laughs> and also the thing, too, where, I mean, in New, this is true of, of other cities as well, but but New York changes really fast mm-hmm. for the for good and for bad. So the idea that we are, you know, you're reading, you want to, you want to see the, you know, the New York of, as you said, Bonfire the Vanities or the or the New York of 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 Henry James or whatever. Mm. Those days are gone already. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're all we're already dealing with, you know, bike lanes where there used to be cars parked or whatever. And um, so it's a it's a it's a different. Um, Reality moves faster than literature, I guess, is my yeah. point. It's slightly different with European cities, I think. I think they're for all for all the 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 modernity, you can you can, you know, make a slight turn or a wrong turn in London and end up in Dickensland. Dickensland. Yes. Yes. Um, totally that's very y- true. It's it's even in you know in, in in Jamaica, if I got to Spanish Town in Jamaica, there's a primary go. Oh wait, it's, I feel like I'm back in the 1800s. All right, well, so all right, that's interesting because you're when you're talking about Jamaica, is are there, if you will, away from where the tourists are, away mm. from where visitors are, where where real people live, presumably, does it feel like a different place than the rest of than the rest of? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because I had that, I had that sort of sense. I mean, I don't mean to to sort of interrupt you, but I had mm-hmm. that sense of like, if you go like two or street, two or three streets away from like the Piazza San Marco in Venice, it's like a completely different city. Mm-hmm. Nobody give no, there are no tourists around. People are actually speaking, you know, Venetian dialect of Italian. I mean, in other words, there are parts of there are parts of Venice where you, I mean, may, maybe I'm tricking myself, but you think, oh yeah, Venetians live here, not you mm-hmm. know American assholes with with you know platinum american express cards who are like trying to figure out how to buy some venetian glass cheap mm-hmm. um i don't know why well, are they I looking for the wendy's <laughs> there's a there's a horrifying thought anyway what else what else do you have besides dublin and ulysses ones. one was was the cairo of negui mafuz a cairo trilogy Palace Walk, Palace of Desire, and Sugar Street, mm-hmm. which there are such season novels that those are actual streets. Yes. I'm not sure Palace of Desire is called Palace of Desire, but the original name is the name of the original mm-hmm. of the original street. The Cairo trilogy is three fa- about th- uh, three generations of a family ruled by one real tyrant of a dad. Yes, totally. Saeed Ahmad Abdul Jawad, I think I got it totally wrong. I think it's two sons and a daughter, one son from a previous marriage. And even by the standards, the conservative standards of the time, he's a brutal kind of tyrant, yes. conservative thing. Yes. But outside, 
um he's the life of the party he you know he goes to houses of ill repute right. he drinks because he comes home with alcohol in his breath he is this completely different person out of the house yes and various different members of the family have to come to terms with that mm -hmm. including a son who finds himself who at one point i think runs runs into his dad at the same brothel <laughs> What a bonding moment. Do they give family been. discounts there? I wonder. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, and I'm not quite sure what you said to your dad. <laughs> okay. That is that is something I'm glad I never that is a situation I never I'm like that. Yeah, you're coming in or going right. out. <laughs> but the Cairo of the novels to me are are very, very rich. I I like uh, you know, and I and, and I I'll talk about this in the, in my third choice too. I like when I can smell a city. I like yes. when I can smell a novel. Yes. And seed and so on. And the Cairo that, that Mahfouz is writing about is a Cairo in a serious state of flux. Mm -hmm. It's between the two world wars. It's still under British colonialism, British occupation. And um, it's interesting how some characters in the book actually support Germany. Yes, which mm -hmm. did not – I've read Palace Walk, mm. which did not surprise me in the sense that um, they're growing up in mm. this, you know, under the – you know the the boot heel of authority, mm. whether whether it's the whether it's the father or I mean, in other words, you don't really know anything else. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. the The character of Cairo is, in my opinion, by far the most interesting part, the mm -hmm. most interesting character in Palace Walk, mm -hmm. which I found um, disappointing, shall we say, <laughs> despite his Nobel Prize and international renown. I was, I was, I expected to, I, it felt in a lot of ways, interesting, interesting you mentioned Germany, it felt mm. in a lot of ways like those sorts of, you know, not, um, Thomas uh, Manny kind of books. Yes, exactly. Where it's like, okay, let's talk about, you know, let's go into hideous detail about mm. unpleasant family members and generations where, you know, many, many assholes are running around and nobody's, nobody can sort of, you know, be themselves or, or choose their own lives or whatever. So it God, you sound like a novel that I would definitely want to read. I'm not even being ironic. I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? Well, how could you not like this? Kids, don't try this at home. Anyway, it was one. I you know I don't wish you know I I, I remember thinking Palace Walk when I read it. it was like, all right, well I get it. I don't mm -hmm. think I care. Yeah. Well, maybe you should just jump to Sugar Street. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Are the are the other novels? I mean, the thing about the best part about, as I said, was Cairo. It yeah. was, it, I mean, it is the novels are in sequence, mm -hmm. but I also think that um, you can jump to Sugar Street, and Sugar Street does some interesting things. Mm -hmm. uh, the tyrant is gone, and it frees up a lot of the characters to do things they wouldn't have done. Interesting. Otherwise, and um, one character ends up in a relationship that genuinely surprised me. Oh, good. Okay. Maybe I should read Sugar Street. And I was like, you know, because you read it and you wonder, okay, what's the big deal the Muslim world has against Mahfouz? Mm -hmm. Then you read Sugar Street and go, oh, <laughs> I understand now. Not that you, you know, it's you can't talk about Mahfouz without talking about fatwas and and mm -hmm. and um, before you know this absolutely horrible incident with Salman Rushdie. Yes, Mahfouz was also stabbed. Wow, you know, I didn't know there that. was also a fatwa on him. And he was also stabbed. He was stabbed in the neck. He survived it. And he was stabbed in Cairo. In Cairo. Wow. Um, Mahfouz is also one of those people who didn't leave. Well, that's what I would. Even that... post-stabbing. 
Okay. So he's writing about specific places, and I think specificity is very important to him. And, and I think that's something that's also very important to the city novel, specificity. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Even when you're making it up, as I said, when I was writing Black Leopard, I had to get to the point where I knew where each road was mm -hmm. and who's on it. Because I think a novel, particularly a novel about the city, part of it power comes from the specificity. Yes. yes. If you're going to write about London, you're going to write about the Thames, you should know what the Thames smell like. Yes, and also, you know, what it looks like mm. farther down the river than mm. farther up or whatever. Or the idea yeah. that there is there are, you know, it ebbs and flows. In other right. words, a sense of the a sense of the life mm. of these of these things, these right. characters. And the fact that it's may and, 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 and people listening may think, well, what does that do what does that mean for the sci fi city or the fantasy city? I think the the rules still apply. Yeah. Well, you can make it up. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. You know, in the actual world. Right. You can. I mean, I didn't. I don't pick it. Maybe you picked it. You know, Calvino's Invisible Cities. Yes. I'm trying to think of. I was going to put bring up Law of the Rings, but those are territories, really, not really cities. Mm -hmm. But even the, the rules still apply. I still should smell it. Yes. I should should taste it. And that's you know that's a series of choices. I mean, you're talking about Joyce or Mafuz. Those mm. are how they kind of how they create the characters of the cities they're 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 writing about. Mm -hmm. Are um you know if, if you do it right, well you know how to do this. If, if you do it right, it's so much. The rest of the novel is so much is enriched by mm -hmm. having these sort of fascinating. Um, sensory filled places that mm -hmm. the characters walk through and experience. It's a sense. It's a sense of again. I said this before. The sense that it couldn't have happened anywhere yes, else. Yes, exactly, exactly. And that is, I mean, the 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 palace novels of Mafus could not have happened in, you know, Berlin or mm -hmm. Akron or you know Rio. They just mm -hmm. couldn't have. Which is funny, given how much he's inspired by the European novel. Well, I mean, yeah. it's interesting you you mentioned that because I, I mean, the first thing I thought of when I read Palace of Desire was Berlin Alexanderplatz, mm -hmm. which and, almost made my list. Okay, I'm so I'm so glad. To, <laughs> I'm so glad that is a waste of pulp as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yes, Talk yes. The TV show might be better. <laughs> the the miniseries I highly recommend. Okay, I I we got it. We got to move. Yeah, it was. I mean, I read it, and it just was okay. Yeah, I I I. <laughs> Yeah, there should be a special, you know, maybe I got a slightly better spot in heaven for having actually mm. read that. But I it was um it was interesting interesting to mention that because it mm. did it did feel very much like that kind of, you know, sense of family in a kind of a narrative space that was the city. But if you are I was but if you are bored by a kind of a Berlin Alexanderplatz or in search of lost time or 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 Balzac. Well, I'm who not who is clearly being influenced by. Fair enough. I'm mm -hmm. not bored by the I'm not bored by the London of Dickens. Right. I'm not bored by the um I don't even know. Friends of the Paris of Flaubert. Well, no, that, that's not, yeah. I mean mm -hmm. Hugo's pair. I mean I, mm -hmm. I I mean as long as it is, the hunchback of Notre Dame is a f I actually think is a very engaging read. Mm -hmm. And the the sort of sort of mid you know, medieval Paris is you know, it maybe you can't smell it, but it, mm -hmm. it's dirty and thing. You know, th horrible things happen and all that stuff. So I'm I'm willing to buy into to you know uh, a city as a character. It's just not something that I'm desperate to do again with Mafus. But maybe mm -hmm. I will read Sugar Street. Mm -hmm. Not that you've asked. <laughs> well, one of the it's interesting you're talking about places that sort of smell bad, mm -hmm. because one of the novels that I was um, 
wanted to bring up was Interview with a Vampire, the Anne Rice mm-hmm. novel that takes place in New Orleans. It's right. the, you know, it was published in the 70s and it's the basically the sort of basically the story of a man's transformation into a into a um, into a vampire. And it takes place in I think it's the the New Orleans of like 1791, early in the, you know, late in the 18th century and it's 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 Spanish Louisiana. And, you know, you can sort of smell the corruption everywhere. It's a story of a uh, of Louis who is, you know, attacked one night on the waterfront of New Orleans by the by a, a vampire named Lestat. And it sort of goes into the the corruption and depravity of the sort of vampire life. And and New Orleans really feels like it's the, it's the heart of it. Now, New Orleans is not a city that I I've been to. It's not a city that I feel a particular affinity for. Really? But my I my favorite city in America. Well, it's there are three places in America, three mm. cities in America where I actually don't feel that I'm in America. One of them is New Orleans, one of them's New York, and one of them's Miami. Mm-hmm. They don't feel to me at any rate like Denver or right. Dallas or you know or or Minneapolis, mm-hmm. which is fine. But my my point is is that there's so many other sort of influences going on in there, and people find them you know fascinating, and I think they're really interesting. But the sort of sense of kind of inescapable corruption and depravity that mm-hmm. this novel has and these characters have and feels like and and New Orleans has to me felt like it all kind of worked together really effectively it's not i mean 1791 is not a place i and New Orleans is not a place i want to go to mm-hmm. <laughs> but i totally i totally felt it on the page that this was a a scary dangerous in some ways place that you can't escape mm-hmm. and i thought that was particularly effective yeah, I actually I haven't I haven't read Interview with a Vampire. Of course, I saw the movie. Okay, I've not seen the movie. I could not bring myself to see really, how yeah. it's framed. Yeah, you don't have to see it. You really don't have to see it. I'm trying to think of what I read with New Orleans, Confederacy of Nuns. Mm-hmm. It's almost seems as if the New Orleans hasn't changed. Now. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, it seems to be always the same, but mm. disintegrating in different ways. If that makes sense, it is. But there's always this sort of type of yeah, it, the ship is sinking, but man, it's fabulous. Yes, exactly, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it. Sh- I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to impute a moral judgment on mm-hmm. on New Orleans mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's like, oh yeah, you know, if do I, is this where I want to spend my my efforts or whatever? I remember going. This is a few years ago. Going to New Orleans again, and I and I hadn't been there in decades, mm. and I was interested in the things that had changed and the things that hadn't. Mm-hmm. And this was post Katrina, so a lot of physically had changed. Mm-hmm. But I do remember. The, the to your point earlier, the smell stayed with me. I yeah. remember the smell of the Mississippi. I know, and yet it's my favorite American city. Interesting. Why do? You, why is it your favorite? I think it's it's the it's one of the maybe only two or three cities where every time I leave, I regret leaving. Interesting. Do you? You're right. It's it's it doesn't feel. It feels very American and not American. Yes. I feel like it always had that sense. I think you're right. I mean, the fact that you know, for literally what you know, hundreds of years, mm. these clashing cultures have been, you know living on top of each other in a mm. in a place that frankly is not that habitable mm-hmm. for human beings. Really, especially during the summer. Exactly. Oh yeah, this is where cholera started. You know, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, our our, you know, our city, you know, uh, logo is the, you know, the malarial mosquito or something. I mean, mm. it's it's a place that feels, you know, like you could um, you know, you could catch something really bad here. Yeah, you do, but even when you're when you know where you are in New Orleans if you lost, which is something I actually do like. Mm-hmm. The food is incredible. The people are great. It is. It is. It it almost gives this idea 
it gives the idea that you know the south can be uh, south is a magical place and mm-hmm. to an extent it is mm-hmm. and i think because new orleans was always a place where i think people can just sort of throw the mask off and give in to their id exactly everything mm-hmm. can be bought mm-hmm. in new orleans and i and i don't sound that mean that to sound like i'm a pearl clutching you know moralist mm-hmm. or whatever but it's like oh yeah there is you can find whatever you want in the city but I also, I mean, I was on a panel once um, where people were talking about New Orleans being a Caribbean city, and I was arguing that it was, and my friend Ned Sublet was saying it's not really. It's what, it's, what it really is is a port city. Mm-hmm. Well, what what do you think is the difference then between being a, a Caribbean city well, and a I think a Caribbean port city, city was probably, not, in hindsight, I'd say it's a little too sort of narrow because mm-hmm. there are aspects of it that have nothing to do with the Caribbean. I think because right. I think the Caribbean... Caribbean cities and certain Caribbean cities have something in common with New Orleans. I mean, Jamaica to an extent, but Jamaica isn't quite as strange because it's right. quite as weird and isn't quite as romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a port city and mm-hmm. it's also a slave port city. Yes, exactly. And I think those cities, whether it's a slave port or so on, those cities have stuff in common. That's why Kings. That's why if, if I land in New Orleans, I feel like I know it. It's mm-hmm. like a, if you land in, in certain ports in Venezuela mm-hmm. or if you land in, you know, Cape Town, right, or Manila. Interesting. Well, it's okay because I, I, I had a a roommate who, um, a college roommate who was a uh, uh, who's now a uh, a whose family was from Cuba, who's who's now a lawyer in Miami, and you know his point was the legal center of the Caribbean is Miami. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point about it being you know more like a port city or a city of commerce or or whatever. But the idea that there are different places and different people that kind of come together at places like New Orleans mm. and Miami and with their own agendas and their mm. own desires and their own hatreds or whatever. But but the thing about someplace like Miami, to me at any rate, is that it feels somehow – and I don't – I mean I haven't – any that somehow Miami has somehow been sort of washed, sort of cleansed of mm. its past in a way that New Orleans hasn't. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're talking about a city when I'm, we're actually talking about but novels. But I mean, my <laughs> point is is that it is that I can see the sites, the sky skyscrapers mm. much more clearly in Miami than I can in New well, Orleans. Because there's really have any. I don't know what they would have done, what they would do with them. Well, that's the thing. They're always ready to be kind of you know sucked back into the jungle or mm-hmm. you know or in the marsh or whatever so it's it's uh, yeah i mean you know a lot of vampires in new york in new orleans don't suck blood <laughs> exactly. but i think that's kind of the romance to it yeah well um, if you're willing to accept that absolutely it is but i also think the other thing about it is is a lot of the 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 black culture in in, in new orleans remains vibrant almost because they have no choice interesting Whereas I think a lot of the sort of planter, mm-hmm. slavery, blah, 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 gentrified white has atrophied. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things do, is a kind of dynamic that's going. Well, I, I, I mean, it's interesting to me that you like New Orleans so much because it is it is very many things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Not all of them good, pleasant, oh, happy, whatever. Not. And the fact that in that muck, you can pull out whatever you like, be it the food, be it the people, mm. be it the music, be it the history, whatever, um, while at the same time recognizing that the the opposite of those things or mm. the, the sort of underside or the history can be just as horrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The third book I had here was Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. All right, explain that. So, Mikhail, so, God, how do you explain a novel? I 
I'm glad I'm glad I asked you and you not you I, didn't I, ask me. I'm trying to find God. You know how would I say it? So in 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 a best best way to say it is Satan. Satan descends on sort of post-Lenin sort of kind of Stalin Russia mm-hmm. to realize it's an atheist nation where nobody believes in him or in Jesus. Right. And that the one person who believes in Jesus wrote a book about it and is now in an insane asylum. <laughs> and he decides he's going to have a party. Okay. And Satan... You know, Satan. You know, he, and he comes with him, with him, his big monstrous talking black cat, his va- female vampire, right? His aide de camp who uses a word that cannot be said in Russian because it sounds like a very bad word in English, Uh-oh. which we used to call gay men. Um, and I can't remember who else. This whole posse of freaks to have this sort of hell's hell's hellfire club kind mm-hmm. of ball. Meanwhile. The the person who wrote that book on Jesus, his m- very married mistress Margarita, <laughs> somehow ends up in some sort of deal with the devil. Okay. In exchange for I cannot remember what. <laughs> but in exchange for something. In exchange, in exchange for something, and it's 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 a crazy novel. I said the thing about Martha Margarita is that every time you read it, it's a different novel. Well, that was what I was going to ask you. Is it is it is it funny? Is it, it is very funny, yep. and it's very absurdist in this way in which you know somebody they, they, who is witnessing authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the best response you can make, and it doesn't surprise me that a lot of the, the, the literature that is a response to authoritarianism is absurdist. Yes, exactly. Like, what are you going to do? Also, how else can you describe what's going on? Exactly. You know, in the novel, you know, people vanish. They just disappear? They just disappear. <laughs> Which only people who have been through authoritarian regimes right. know what that means. Right. And it's in the subtext enough. of people being, somebody will disappear you. Right, totally. And um, he uses, a, the, the Moscow in, in, in Master Margarita is as specific as, as the Dublin and Ulysses. Mm-hmm. And yet it's also quite fantastical in that you have people that just vanish. Which is, you know, the way the world, as you said, the way the world worked. Yeah. But the funny thing about it is the first time I read Margarita, I mistook it for a 19th century novel. Oh, interesting. Because it had, does, because of the structure? or Because the of stru- the structure, but because of how he writes about Moscow. Interesting. Then I realized it's not 19th century, it's just kind of atrophied. Interesting. Or atrophied. How do you pronounce that? You can word? pronounce it either way, I think. Uh-huh. That, that's interesting. You know, it's, 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 you know the, first, the first thing you learn about Moscow when you open the book is a smell. You know, the smell of linden trees. You're talking a lot about scent today. That's interesting that the cities, yeah. the cities are connected with that. Yeah. There is a certain, I mean, one of the first things that happened in that book is a decapitation of somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts out with, starts out really happily, in other words. Is yeah. What you're yeah. Mm-hmm. But there are two cities in that novel. There is, there, it's Moscow, but there's also Jerusalem. Oh, Wow. Yeah, Be- because because of, because of because it's right at that moment where Pilate washes his hands of Jesus. Oh wow! And so it's so it's kind of modern and and classical at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you're you're dealing with the with the the Jerusalem that doesn't believe this freak right. Yeshua, right? And right. who is who is about to be condemned to death, right? And you also with a, a Moscow that um is reeling from authoritarianism. Right. 
where you know where you know the devil thinks, oh, this is definitely the place. <laughs> I, I am in the right place. It's the real hellhole. <laughs> exactly. Novel. When um, was this written? This was written. That is a very good question because it was written, I think, in the 30s, but it didn't come out till the 50s. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah. Interesting. Because the, the thing about this, too, is if you're, I mean, what it sounds like what they're doing is both the kind of, and I hesitate to kind of use this kind of parallel, but it's like, oh, yeah, what the absurdity or, or the horribleness of the regime I'm living in, the political regime, but also the kind of weird parallels or connections to the kind of, you know, what Christianity was like. Jesus was, you know, an apocalyptic Jewish guy during the reign of, you know, Caesar, who mm-hmm. was, you know, and there were lots of them running around. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of 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 having that sort of sense of absurdity or the sense of, of, oh my God, I can't believe what just happened. I'm not surprised the author made the connections, is my point. Yeah, the sense that um, anything can happen to you and, and not in a good way. Exactly. And it's completely out of your control. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because the, the, the last book that I want to talk about actually takes place in New York City, specifically the neighborhood around the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, which is, for those of you who don't live here, it's, it's kind of north of Central Park, north of the sort of tourist areas. It's the place where, you know, back in the, when the novel was written in the 60s, it was the place where kind of normal New Yorkers could live. The novel's called The Young Unicorns by Madeline Lingle, who's the author of A Wrinkle in Time. And this, this, the novel centers around sort of 110th in Amsterdam, and it's the story of the, about a family that lives in the 60s when there were a lot was happening in this in this city. There's a there's a gang in it called the Alpha Bats, B, B, I, and there's a carpenter's son who used to be a gang member. There's a blind girl who's a piano prodigy. I mean, there's all this sort of stuff that that kind of revolves around the the kind of increasingly erratic behavior of the Episcopal Bishop of New York, who's mm whose seat, if you will, is the is the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, which was started in the 19th century and still is not done. It's mm-hmm. like the Holy Family Cathedral in Barcelona. It's still in the process of being built. Anyway, you know, Madeline Lengel was knew this neighborhood really well. She she was a she was a librarian at the cathedral. So it's the story of this family trying to come to grips with life that was changing in a city like New York that was changing that wasn't the city of Tom Wolfe or mm-hmm. the city of Edith Wharton. It was like, you know, sort of regular things happened. And it turns out that some creepy shit was happening in this novel that, you know, this was a novel for children. So it wasn't quite, it wasn't hideous, but it was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, some weird stuff is going on. And sort of how how this is kind of balanced in a way that brings New York alive as, a, as a, the neighborhood up there was primarily residential. I mean, I mean, in the sense of if mm-hmm. any if any neighborhood in New York can be really residential, but I mean, the idea that people, real people lived here, real people did stuff, they lived their lives, they tried, and yet New York kind of, the tendrils of New York kind of got closer and closer to this family and and ended up trying to attack them or affect them in a way and, and then, which they fought back and won. But it's, it's a New York that I hadn't read before. It's mm-hmm. a New York that I haven't come across you know, it's not three men and a baby, which if you remember that movie from the 80s, mm-hmm. it's not that kind of thing. It's more like this is what normal people deal with in the 60s in New York as they kind of try to figure out what's going on around them. That's what's fascinating. I've never even heard of this book. I was going to say it was one of those things that I read as a kid and was thought it was great. And it's not it's not in that kind of speculative or or science fiction way that a wrinkle in time is or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's it's in other words, it takes place in the real world. And I think from because of that, it 
it tends to get overlooked in the kinds of books that Madeline Lingle has written, only because it's not as it, it's it's not as world building because the world was there. It just right. it just feels very real. At least it did to me, when, and it did in the reread as well. Mm-hmm. So I was good when you can reread a novel, and it's still good. That's a whole that's a whole other podcast. It is, and also when when you read mm-hmm. another a book that you thought you liked and it turned out not to be mm-hmm. very good. That's that's the that's the come down. That's the come. God, I did nothing like ending on a on a grim note. You should say something pleasanter. I like unicorns. <laughs> get me the rainbows. Get me the unicorns. Marlon has Marlon's like them. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and let us know what you think at rereaddeadpeople at prh dot com, and you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on books by living authors like Marlon James. And we'll have links in the show notes to the books that we've talked about in this episode. And for sneak peeks of upcoming Riverhead Books, free giveaways and exclusive content, like maybe or maybe not pictures of Marlon lighting a pile of Trollope novels on fire, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter, The River Heard. Find the sign-up link in our show notes or on any of our social channels. So that's it from us. The dead people are still dead, so you can go read them. Listening to Marlon and Jake means my to-read list gets longer every week. Enter Libro FM. Libro FM lets me purchase audiobooks directly from my favorite local bookstore. I can pick from more than 185,000 titles, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. I get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But I'm part of a different story, one that supports community. And you can be too. Marlon and Jake Read Dead People listeners can get a special offer. Two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership. That's two audiobooks for just $14.99 with the code Marlon and Jake. Visit Libro.fm to get started. Now go read some dead people. Offer only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S.